Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. Today we are talking about resilience. So let's define it because this is a really big deal. Resilience is, quote, an ability to recover from or adjust easily to misfortune or change, unquote. Lynn G. Robbins, a leader in the LDS Church, shared, quote, During my visit with Brigham Young University, Idaho Falls, in the fall of 2017, the school's new president, Henry J. Eyring, told me that his foremost concern was the high dropout rate of college freshmen. Students leave college for a variety of reasons, but a lack of resilience is one of the leading reasons that many universities across the United States are experiencing this same challenge, unquote. He then mentioned that the military is noticing the same thing. Quote, discovering a lack of resilience among its recruits, the U.S. Army started offering the Master's Resilience Training, or the MRT program, to fortify soldiers against the stress and the demands and the hardships of military service, unquote. So we have the colleges and we have military. These are just a few of the places where this lack of resilience is being noted among us and particularly with the upcoming generation. So let's have a conversation University, the military, COVID, these things are not causing the lack of resiliency. They are just exposing it. So how do we become more resilient and how do we raise a generation of children to be more resilient than they are? It turns out, as we are all painfully aware, that the increase in suicides has been just traumatic in this generation as well. This lack of resiliency is showing up in many, many, many places. And that's why this conversation is so important. So stay tuned for a look at resiliency and the keys we need to help us bounce back. Stories are our lives in language. Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. I'm Lori Lee, and I'm excited for our future together of telling stories, evaluating our own stories, and lifting ourselves and others to greater places because of our control over our stories. This podcast is about empowerment and giving you, the listener, ideas to work with in making your stories work for you. Story power serves you best when you know how to use it. Lower resilience among today's youth may be caused by a number of things. Let me just throw a few out. One, less physical activity, so read too much device time, so that they don't know how to push through resistance. You learn that when you're physically engaged in sports and activities and you're out. You push through that resistance. So the second is impatience in a world of instant gratification. And resilience is developed in great part through the virtue of patience. So you can see how that's a cause and effect there. The third thing that I would propose is protection from rough seas. Smooth seas, as the saying goes, do not make skillful sailors. So as we as parents have tried to protect them from all of the difficulties of life, perhaps we've stopped them from learning how to bounce back, how to handle things. Just things to think about. While the reasons are important so that we can start making changes, what I want to talk about today is what resiliency looks like. Is it just me, or have you also noticed that as we listen to the incredible life story shared on this podcast, that one thing constantly pops up, 
And that is that as people share their difficult stories, they always come to this crossroads. Now, this crossroads in all of our lives may come up over and over again. We may have to choose repeatedly. But that's why it's even more important to be aware of this crossroads. It is the crossroads of choosing either victimhood, blame, depression, woe is me, I want to give up, or choosing growth and overcoming and trust in a bigger picture and basically keep on keeping on. This crossroads is a sacred place. It's a place where the human soul does its hardest work. It is not a place to be taken lightly or to be talked about lightly. It's not the cause of the struggle. It is the choice in the struggle. So today we talk about resiliency because as Steve Goodyear said, quote, my scars remind me that I did indeed survive my deepest wounds. That in itself is an accomplishment. And they bring to mind something else, too. They remind me that the damage life has inflicted on me has, in many places, left me stronger and more resilient. What hurt me in the past has actually made me better equipped to face the present. Unquote. I start out with this quote because I think when we are deep in the struggle, that it becomes important to remember. It becomes important to remember that there is learning and growth and perspective on the other side of this. So keep on keeping on. It might feel like life is unfair and that you're just frankly getting the shit kicked out of you at these, these really crucial points. But someday it will be this process and what you do with it that creates your character and develops your strength. On today's shows, we will hear from three people, clips of their stories and how they navigated the horrible spaces of paralysis from a rodeo accident, walking again after a bike SUV collision, and taking back life after sexual abuse and a deep immersion in alcoholic households. We all have our own path with our own difficult struggles. So what these struggles look like for these individuals not going to be what your struggle looks like necessarily. No one's is the same. But what is the same is the importance of the resiliency. This one thing determines whether you make it through and how you show up on the other side. Let me repeat that. This one thing determines whether you make it through. Your resiliency determines whether you make it through that hard spot and how you show up on the other side. And those are a really big deal. First of all, what does resiliency look like? It's always been best to look at real life examples. So I'm dipping into these three past interviews. Well, here's some tips for sure. But as I listen to the stories on the podcast over and over, that front and center thing, that, that thing that always brings these people to the top, these survivors, the key to resiliency is, drumroll, it is attitude. Resiliency is determined by how we respond to hard things. Elder Dieter F. Uchtdorf of the LDS Church said, it's your reaction to adversity, not adversity itself, that determines how your life story will develop. Maya Angelou echoed, quote, I can be changed by what happens to me, but I refuse to be reduced by it. 
Guy Vertuli, quote, persistence and resilience only come from having been given the chance to work through difficult problems, unquote. There are no end to the quotes about this fact of life. When we are beat down to the very bottom of what we feel we can handle, that is the time where the choice becomes crucial. Attitude. Even if you can only start with a small hope, with a trust that there's a bigger picture, that there's something to be learned, will put us on the path of resilience. Let's go to our first example. In episode 166, Braxton Nelson, the episode is called Born to Succeed. Braxton was always interested in rodeo. Braxton placed eighth in the nation in 2017 and then went pro rodeo. So his dream of becoming a world champion bareback rider was getting closer and closer. But life happened. And after the accident where he was bucked off this Bronco, Braxton was given less than a 5% chance of walking again. Five fused vertebrae, two rods, eight screws, numbness in his right leg, and he can't feel his left foot. Recovery was a long road. But stay tuned to hear about his journey and to soak in some of that positive attitude that Braxton exudes as he talks about life. Tell me about the accident and what happened. So it was... uh... August 31st, 2017. Um, I've been, I was rodeoing for just um, almost three years. I just finished taking eighth in the nation at the college national finals. And man, I was gung ho, ready to start this pro rodeo career, chasing my dream of, um, of making the NFR, the national finals rodeo. And uh, I was at a pro rodeo up in Filer, Idaho. I climbed over the, the chutes to get on this bucking horse, the horse named Sozo. And it's been to the NFR. It's a great bucking horse. And I thought, man, life presents this opportunity. It's time to take advantage of it. So I climbed over the chute, ran my hand in the rigging. And as I went to nod my head, the horse sat down, kind of back against the chutes. And then it, it rare, as the gate opened, it reared over and completely smashed me against the back of the chutes. And I heard a, I still remember to this day, the sound just boom, like a, a shotgun went off in my ears. And uh, my legs went numb. And I reached up. The gates came open. The horse left the chute. I reached up and pulled my hand out of the, the rigging and uh, kind of got tossed around <laughs> like a rag doll there for a second. And I hit the ground. And I've, I've been bucked off plenty of times. And, you know, the saying, when a cowboy gets bucked off, bucked off, you get back up, right? When you fall down and life hits you, you get back up. And as I went to get up, my legs didn't want to cooperate. They, uh, it honestly felt like a two, a two by four hit me in the stomach. I couldn't really breathe. I didn't really know what was going on. And I waved at one of my, my good buddies, Joe Frost was there at the time. Yeah. He, he, he ran out to me and kind of said, Hey, what's going on? And I mean, I felt a knot in my back. I couldn't move my legs and honestly just in shock. Kind of my whole world was just flipped upside down in the blink of an eye. It, uh, the horse, when it reared over, it pinched my back and my shoulder blades into to shoot and basically just tackled me. And it bursted my T12 and L1. Well, it totally broke my L1 vertebrae, little bone fragments kind of everywhere, dislocated my T12, twisted my spinal cord in like a 180 and then pinched it severely. So they hauled you off the, what do you call it? The You're just laying there on Man. the dirt and they... Right there in the arena dirt. Yep. Um, they loaded me up in the ambulance. They gave me some 
antibiotics, put me out, put me in the ambulance, took me to the Twin Fall Hospital where I went under MRI. They seen that there's fluid in my spinal column. Mm. And you're not supposed to have any fluid in there. As soon as they seen that there was fluid in there, they life flied to me the U of U Hospital in Salt Lake City, where I went under a five and a half hour surgery. And I'm so grateful when we talk about talents and abilities, you know, people blessing each other's lives with them. I'm uh, so grateful for the doctors. Um, she was awesome. She was an amazing surgeon. It, uh, I'm grateful for her all her hard work and implemented two rods, eight screws, line my vertebrae up as best they can. What was the diagnosis then at this point when you got out of surgery? What'd they say to you? Came in and told my dad and my mom and me that uh, me less than 5% chance to ever walk. I live by the 10% circumstance, 90% attitude. 10% circumstance, you're not going to be able to control. You can't control what's going to come out of someone's mouth sometimes. You're not going to be able to control what your boss is going to say or or life circumstances that happen and hit you like, you know, I couldn't control bareback horse flipped over and I'm paralyzed. But what we can control every single day is 90% attitude. And that's what my dad taught me. And, and being the very best, you have to have that 90% attitude. Be able to focus on the things that you can control, the things that you have. Don't worry about wasting time on controlling things you, you can't control, but your attitude in life. Life is an amazing thing where we are. That's when I talk about the only one that can limit you is yourself because this, this life is like a blank canvas and you're, you're the artist. You can paint your own picture, whatever you want it to be. You know, if, 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 if this life's a blank book, you're the, you're the author of your own story. Really, you can write what your outcome wants to be. Amen, so, brother. <laughs> amen, right? So start today. Those that honestly be able to control uh, that attitude and, and life is unlimited. In episode 168, Michael O'Brien, speaking about how he survived the morning of July 11th, 2001, more about this in a minute, he said... Resiliency is determined by how we respond to hard things. If we want to create the lives we want to create, it is all emotional labor. So on the morning of July 11th, 2001, Michael O'Brien, an avid cyclist, was riding his bicycle on a New Mexico road when an SUV hit him head on going 40 miles per hour. The crushing accident left him near death as the medevac helicopter descended to take his broken body to be pieced back together. Today, Michael is with us and will take us to the darkness of that accident, the long road, the slow road to recovery. But he also takes us to his shift, the moment when he decided it was the power of his mind that would decide the rest of his life. It wasn't the tragedy that would define him but how he responded to that tragedy. It's that resilience crossroads right there. He's going to take us there. Then a mentor came to me and said, hey, Michael, all your events in your life are neutral until you label them. And at first, I didn't really understand what he meant. And then he went on further and shared, hey, nothing really has meaning in your life until you give it meaning. You can you can put your label and meaning on this whole accident, what happened. Because initially, like when I'm in victim mode, everyone came to my aid and said, yes, you are in victim mode. They, 
they almost validated it. And so there was some danger there that I would just stay there. There was sort of this choice that was being presented to me. And he came and he helped shine a light on a different option that instead of being defined by my accident, I could be defined by how I responded to it, that I could rise up and, you know, start working on what and this came later with my big aha, my big shift that if I wanted to get my body right, I first had to get my mind right. And I had to get my thinking, I had to point my eyes in a different direction. And that was so critical to helping me like understand like, okay, I have some choice in this. And that slowly but surely the, the clouds started to part and I could see some clarity and some sun shining. And I took my first steps more figuratively than literally because I was still in my wheelchair and I was still hospitalized. But I was like, okay, well, today I'm going to start showing up different. And I get my mind right so I can heal my body. And I can make more of a connection with the people I wanted to make a connection with. I wanted to change my energy. Because I knew enough about energy back in the day where it was like, all right, the energy is rippling. If I put out better energy, it could come back to me and that could help me get just a little bit better tomorrow than I am today. So what was it that caused your shift? Well, part of it was a little bit of comparison. When I looked around at other people, some people were getting better and other people weren't. And I was frustrated with my progress. I want, I just wanted to feel normal again, Lori. I wanted to I wanted to get out of the hospital too, even though I wasn't ready to get out of the hospital. Some of the shift came with like the competitiveness that I have of like, how are they getting better? I'm not getting better. Like what's happening there. And so I used that spark. I used that energy to help like get me motivated, but I also got clear on like what I wanted out of my life, that purpose, that awareness. And I, you know, I had a little pep talk with myself to say like, listen, let go of all these things that you're chasing after all those external merit badges that are now today so common to chase after and just show up for the people in your life in the way that you want be the best version of you you can be you're the best husband the best father and so i got really focused on that because in those moments when you are down to like you know brass tacks all the stuff that you have doesn't matter at all it's about the connection it's about your health it's about your community it's about your family and I got really serious about that, that I, I knew I had to get my mind and body right so I could be the best husband and father I could be. And then I let go of all the other stuff that sort of the trappings of corporate life and, you know, climbing the corporate ladder and all that jazz. And that was sort of the beginning. And so that, that's the thing that gave me the big shift. And the very next day, I decided that I was going to show up differently right, right off the rift first thing in the morning with a different ritual to help frame my day in a healthier way so I could see what I still had and I could still, I could see what I still could do. Well, just so the audience knows, you know, you've skimmed through the being hit to all of a sudden you have a new attitude, but in the book, it breaks down the long, long, long (laughs) space of being in the hospitals and surgeries. And this was not an easy thing, nor was it a short thing. This was months and months and transfers from the New Mexico hospital up to New York. And just really incredible detail that, of course, just got skipped over here, lest we simplify the <laughs> the intensity of the tragedy. When you talked about making that shift, I let me read the little bit out of your book where you said this. You said, quote, I assessed who was making progress and who was stuck. For those who were making progress, what were they doing differently? What I observed astounded me. The thing that these patients seemed to have in common was an optimistic mindset. They believed they were getting better. This belief gave them the energy and momentum to keep moving forward. They had a different perspective. 
They not only celebrated when things went well, but they also took their setbacks in stride. It felt like a gigantic light bulb suddenly switched on in my mind. It was a moment of total consciousness. This was my shift and nothing would be the same again, unquote. So when you woke up that next morning and you decided to go with this shift, what was your new ritual? Well, I got out of my wheelchair. I scooted myself out of bed, out of my wheelchair, and I tried to find a very quiet place in the hospital, which is not easy to do. Because I knew this, Lori, that I had to get my mind quiet because I had a whole bunch of stuff in my mind, a whole bunch of clutter, a lot of different narratives. And so I wheeled myself to that quiet place and I just sat in silence. It sort of became the beginning of a meditation practice. And I didn't know back then anything about meditation or mindfulness. I, but I thought I was like, well, that's what crunchy granola people do. I'm like, I'm a corporate guy. I'm not going to do any of that. But I sat focused in on my breath, got quiet, and really set my intentions for the day. How did I want to show up for my rehab, for the visitors, my wife who came each day, actually twice a day. And that was the beginning. And then I worked on my mind and body connection to the degree I could do some exercises in my wheelchair I did, mainly with upper body. And then eventually, you know, I turned on my music uh, Depeche Mode's Violator CD was the soundtrack of my recovery. I've probably played that a thousand different times. But that was all like part of my ritual to get going in the day. That helped me start that new day off on the right foot. But something happened later that day. I went to the orthopedic surgeon and he was going to give me clearance to put weight on both legs. So I thought it was going to be a great day. I thought oh, the timing was perfect. Like this new ritual, this new attitude. I'm going to go to the doctor. He's going to say, clean bill of health. You can start walking again. I'd be that much closer to getting out of the hospital. And then he shared with me, you're not, your body's not ready yet. And I was devastated. It was definitely like one of those hits. I fell back down again. But the next day I realized, okay, that's a moment. Don't give it any more fuel than it deserves. Don't have it last any longer than it needs to. And then the next morning I began that ritual again. And so this process of mine is sort of still going on. It's, you know, it's part of the journey I am on is to live life with more intentionality, more purpose, more connection. And so I still have a bad moment from time to time, but I'm determined that I want to cherish each day and put my energy towards it to create a better tomorrow and really treat it as the gift it is, you know, now that I have sort of a second chance on life, if you will. Wallace in episode 151, titled Finding Your Way to Healing, talks to us about her story of how she overcame, forgave, learned, and took action after being sexually assaulted multiple times and living in heavily alcoholic households. Can you um, share, let's say, two of the main things that you've learned and gained from that 12-step program? A couple examples. Yes. So I would say one is a big one is the ability to choose and like the awareness that I constantly have choices, which has just removed that victimhood or self-pity thing from me. 
I used to always say, and I'll still say like, I used to be just the absolute queen of self-pity and I enjoyed feeling sorry for myself and wallowing in that. I didn't know that I really loved it at the time, but now looking back, I can see I, I probably got something out of that. And it was kind of a coping mechanism for years because there were a lot of bad things happened to me. You know, like you mentioned at the beginning, the sexual assault experiences I had shared with you. And, you know, I didn't tell my mom about that for years until I was 32. So, you know, keeping some of those really dark, traumatic things, which in those cases, okay, legitimately, we can say I didn't have a choice in that. (laughs) But keeping a lot of those hard things secret can create a situation where you have, you need to feel sorry for yourself just to soothe yourself. But I kind of took it to extremes. And then in every situation, even if I did have a choice to choose something better and I hadn't, I would still just feel sorry for myself. And so I think the program really has helped me to be aware that even in situations when something bad happens to me, somebody does something and wrongs me or whatever, that the choice there may not be that I can prevent it or stop it, but I can choose how I'm going to respond. Absolutely. I don't have to react emotionally. I can choose my response all the time. And I can choose what's going on inside of me because I can let feelings pass through me instead of just holding on to them and being resentful. I can choose to forgive. And then with that power to choose has come for me another part of that, which is the practice of gratitude. And that has completely transformed my perception of life because I started practicing gratitude because my sponsor told me to because I guess I was too negative and cynical. (laughs) And she made me write this very unique gratitude list every single day for over a thousand days. And at first I hated her for it. And then when I started seeing how much it was changing the way I looked at my life and at things around me, and even, you know, situations that were really bad, like a negative marriage or divorce or a bad job, then I realized that it was really powerful, a powerful habit. So... I love that you bring those two things up because choice and understanding our power to choose and gratitude are such powerful, empowering, inspiring concepts to understand. And they do change everything. One of the things that we work on at Love Your Story is the idea of reframing. And when you, like you said, you take any of those uh, bad marriage and abuse, whatever it is, and you reframe that and are grateful for the things that you learned or the, you know, where it projected you into moving you forward. Or, you know, there's, there are many things that we can find to be grateful for, even if it's just the experience that taught us something that we didn't know before. And with that reframe, you see and feel your life differently. There's less shame, there's less failure, there's less regret, and there's more appreciation for the learning and refining process of living. Her journey in resiliency was supported by gratitude and the power to choose. She has spent the past 12 years taking actions, often in spite of her feelings, to become a healthier person. As we close this discussion today, let's revisit what it takes. One, I've noticed repeatedly a positive mindset or attitude. Two, it takes hard work, a willingness not to give up. And three, support from others. We need to, when we are in those dark places, 
allow support, allow the humanness of the process. And we need to reach out for that support and be willing to accept it because it's a part of the process. And, you know, as I've talked with people, I've also noticed that as they look back on the gifts that they were given as they go through their hardest times, it's often the greater mercies and understandings and kindnesses of the people around them during those processes that changed the way they felt about humanity, about themselves, about moving forward because they saw this great goodness in others. Those three things, we see them all the time as you seek to teach your children resiliency, as you seek to be more resilient in your dark spaces. When you get into that space, remember these attitude, hard work, that willingness not to give up. Even if you're limping along, keep moving forward and then being willing to accept the support and ask for it when needed. Your challenge this week is to look at the current challenges in your life and to kind of take stock of what your attitude about them is. Where are you? And how can you shift that attitude, your current attitude, to move it into a more positive space? Take on that challenge, people. Take it serious. Share this episode with anyone who may benefit. Just copy the link and email it or hit share episode on your app. It's easy and it's a great way to make the world better by sharing these uplifting tools on how to make our life stories the very best that we can. Have a great two weeks. Until we meet again, live your life with intention.